eventually I had so many questions that I couldn't sweep them away anymore. Like I got to the point where there was just too many inconsistencies within the text, too many inconsistencies within the theology and doctrine and everything that I eventually decided that well, I wouldn't even decide it. I just realized that I didn't believe anymore. And it, it was a, people have asked me, you know, well, what what was it that you know made you an atheist like well nothing there was like one thing that made me an atheist it was a bunch of little things added up over time and then one day i just realized i didn't believe anymore welcome to the next episode of reason to doubt today we're going to be going over jared and i's background how we uh embrace skepticism and kind of where we came from um so jared you're going to take the lead. So why don't you explain to us how one goes from a uh, prominent pastoral candidate to godless heathen. <laughs> it's a long story, but uh, I'll try to keep it brief. Basically, I grew up in a, a Christian household. My grandfather is a Baptist preacher uh, for a church. Well, he was at the time. It was called the Flint Baptist Temple in Flint, Michigan. <laughs> Pretty... Uh, conservative fundamentalist church um you know typical creation all that create young earth creationists all that stuff but they didn't it wasn't like bible thumping um young earth creation like you see now like they believe the earth was six thousand years old but it wasn't like go all out it wasn't um, like that central to what they were talking about right yeah their, their more message was more of a um uh you're gonna go to hell if you don't believe in God, <laughs> so the fire, very much a fire and brimstone kind of message. Um, so I grew up in that. And um, my upbringing was we went to church almost five days a week. So we had, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday school, and then Sunday morning service. Then we had Sunday evening church, Wednesday night service. And then there was usually um, what we called visitations um, on either Monday or Tuesday. I don't remember because I was so young, but we would go out into the community and knock on doors and visit with people and then there was a usually a youth night too so i mean like a good majority of my free time was spent in church um and i remember i accepted the lord as my personal savior when i was five years old i remember that night specifically had a um it was a Wednesday night service and there was a guest uh, preacher speaking that night and he gave a, a typical fire and brimstone service but he did one of those, you know, if you were to die on the way home kind of things, you know, where would you, where would your soul go? And I was like, oh, fuck, I don't know where my soul is going. <laughs> it's a big question for a five-year-old. Yeah, it really was. I mean, I distinctly remember, I didn't want to say anything at the time, though. So I waited till I got home. And I remember because my cousin was spending the night, it was in the summer. And uh, my grandma was tucking us in and I asked her, you know, if she would uh, lead me in the sinner's prayer. And uh, I accepted at five years old. So that started the long journey of me towards becoming a, a minister. But I had uh, lots of ups and downs even going through church and stuff. Like I always questioned, I always doubted things, you know, like claims that were being made, whether it was, you know, Noah's Ark or the validity of um how like even Adam could name all the animals and, and just things didn't add up. Right. So, but it was never, 
enough to like shake my faith. Uh, I always just believed and they were just like details that would work themselves out in the end. You know, a typical saying in my uh, grandfather's household was like, you know, these are questions I'll ask God when I get there, see him and he'll make it all make sense basically. So if you didn't understand it, uh, it would make sense in the end. (laughs) That was the level of skepticism that I grew up with. Um, And then probably about 13 years old, uh, we had moved down to Virginia at this point and we were going to another uh, fundamentalist church. Uh, they were so fundamentalist, though, that my mom got kicked out of service one day because she was wearing blue jeans. Wow. Yeah. How pre- dare she? Uh, yeah. What the a preacher, preacher uh, called her out in front of the service uh, for um, showing up to church in jeans. And my mom's defense, like she was like she was on her way home from town with the kids. And she's like, we can make it the service on Wednesday night. Or we could go home and not make it back to service because she would have had to change. So she chose, it's probably better to go to church in blue jeans than it was to go home and change and miss church. Wrong. <laughs> yeah, very wrong. <laughs> but it was at that church that um, <laughs> I felt the what I uh, have always described as a calling uh, to become a, a pastor. Uh, I was 13 years old when that happened. Uh, and I, so at that point, I, I felt like I was being called into the ministry. I went, you know, his altar call, went down, talked to the preacher, prayed with him. And uh, he announced in front of the whole uh, congregation that I had devoted my life to uh, ministry and was on that path. So that's kind of where the, the calling came from. Now, looking back on it, I would say that that came from just my upbringing. You know, my grandfather's a preacher. I always would sit in his office and study with him. You know, I loved studying the Bible. I I can't tell you how many times I would just sit there for hours on end looking through and looking at reference books and looking at illustration books and all these things, trying to figure stuff out. So um, that passion for study coupled with the fact that my grandfather was a preacher and that I was very into the church, um, I think is where that calling came from. Uh, it was just kind of natural for somebody at that age. He was looking for some sort of purpose in life. My parents' marriage was falling apart at that point as well. And so I think it just kind of all came into place. Go through high school. I was in a Christian uh, rock band. <laughs> I played bass guitar. Our name was Last Chance. And our whole idea was, you know, this might be the last chance you get to devote your life to Christ. So Yeah, I mean, you could get hit by a bus coming home from this concert, you know? Exactly, man. And we <laughs> we were all about that. Um, and I was even struggling with doubt at that point about, you know, even belief. Um, but it wasn't so much a belief. It was more of the belief system that we were grew up in. I was becoming more liberal in my thought um, as to christianity and stuff so i hadn't given up christianity at this point it was just moving from fundamentalism to liberalism and um, so even before you went into the pro to seminary you were having doubts but it was doubts it's like what brand of christianity you were gonna follow right like i started questioning like because you know at this point in the 90s non-denominational churches were popping up all over the place oh yeah that's that's what i was in it just it was a thing to do like you were especially if you ask somebody what kind of church, oh, it's non-denominational, uh, you know? And then, so like that, the exposure to non-denominationalism made me start to question like, well, 
what is a Baptist and a Methodist and how could they be different? And like, do they believe there's are Methodists going to hell? Like, uh, so I started questioning just the idea of um, sex of Christianity. And I sort of went down the path of non-denomination, non-denominationalist. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, so I mean, that, that was high school. I went on several missions trips to the Central America, South America, um, you know, just trying to spread the word. <laughs> yeah, but all that to say, I was deeply involved all, all the way through high school. And then um, my senior year of high school, stuff kind of fell apart. Uh, I had my best friend died in a car accident. My mom and dad uh, finally got divorced. And I just stopped caring about everything. I almost didn't graduate high school. Uh, if you look at my transcripts, it's a it's a wonder how I got into UVA because uh, uh, it was not good. But um, so that being said, I ended up joining the Marine Corps right out of high school because I just needed to get out of my my life and my situation. And uh, in the Marine Corps, I did a lot of backsliding as a Christian. But uh, there was a couple times during that that period where I sort of rededicated my life. I had ran into a one of my master sergeants um, was involved in one of these charismatic churches, and he was like, "You were never spiritually baptized, and that's why you're backsliding." So uh, he tried to pray over me and anoint me and get me spiritually baptized, whatever that meant. Um, it didn't work, but <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so I get out of I get out of the Marine Corps. And I met my wife uh, at church, actually. Um, I went to high school with her and met her when I was back on leave, but I was at church and getting back into the church, I sort of rededicated my life to Christ. And um, I was trying to figure out at that point, I felt like, okay, I need to actually answer my calling because for the longest time, my thought was that I was running away from my calling because I didn't actually want to be a preacher or a minister. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to go the opposite direction. But I kept being pulled back in. I kept feeling this calling. And so when I got out of the Marine Corps, after a couple of years, I decided, all right, let's, if this is what you want, let's make it happen. And things sort of started to fall into place, <laughs> uh, coincidence, um, which I attributed to being God saying, right. this is your path. Um, and with that, I, I decided to go to UVA to study religion and history. Finished my degree at UVA, and at that point, I was like, all right, what is, what's next for me? Again, coincidences, I ran into a pastor um, here in Charlottesville who was at First Baptist Church, um, and he was a chaplain in the Army. You know, he sort of mentored me and started talking about you know, chaplaincy and like how, you know, it's I never considered it, but like my upbringing, uh, my grandfather's uh was a my other grandfather not the pastor grandfather was in the marines and like so i always had this military heritage around me mm-hmm. and so i just felt like my calling was to serve um service members and so i decided all right well maybe that's it so i decided i'm gonna go to in the chaplaincy now the only ones that would take me were the army national guard and there was one other branch that would take me but i wasn't even considering it it was like um bottle pirates that was it. Coast Guard. Yes. Yeah. So I was like, no, I'm not going to do the Coast Guard. So I decided I'll join the uh, the Army. And I went to, started going to seminary. But I remember when I went to go 
start seminary, one of the, the pastors, the senior, it wasn't a pastor, it was actually an elder. Uh, he came to me and he was like, your roots are going to be shaken when you go to seminary. Um, you know, you need to be strong in the faith. And he sort of prepared me that I was going to be tested at seminary. And so when I started experiencing doubt at seminary, because now granted, I went from a very liberal religious studies program at UVA to going to an uber conservative um, seminary at Liberty. So like the, all these different conflicting things started popping up in me. And uh, so when I started experiencing doubt and stuff, I was afraid to express it because I, you know, had this pastor telling me that I need to stay strong in my faith and my roots were going to get shooken, but it was just part of the process. So I just sort of shook it off like, all right, and eventually I'll get over it. Yeah, eventually I had so many questions that I couldn't sweep them away anymore. Like I got to the point where there was just too many inconsistencies within the text, too many inconsistencies within the theology and doctrine and everything that I eventually decided that well, I wouldn't even decide it. I just realized that I didn't believe anymore. And it, it was a, people have asked me, you know, well, what, what was it that, you know, made you an atheist? Like, well, nothing. There was like one thing that made me an atheist. It was, <clears throat> bunch of little things added up over time and then one day i just realized i didn't believe anymore uh, and this was <laughs> i was an atheist at seminary so i actually graduated but i realized this my last semester at seminary and i actually graduated seminary as an atheist um but you you had you couldn't say you were an atheist right right no i could not be if i had done that i've been kicked out um because they actually so when you go to seminary uh, at liberty they make you sign a uh I think it's a declaration of faith um, that you have to sign. And there's a, there's certain tenets on there that you have to agree to, you know, some of them are like, I believe that the Bible is in Aaron. I believe that the earth is 6,000 years old, whatever it is. I could probably find it somewhere actually, but it's a list of things that you have to agree to that you believe or profess whatever. So if I were to come out as an atheist, it would have been, it would have been done. And I decided at that point that I could fake the funk for a couple more months, finish my degree, and, and get the paper. Because you already spent the money. So. I had already spent the money and the time, and I might as well, you know, uh, get something to show for it, even though I'll never use it ever. Um, well, now you can say you're a seminary graduate to give yourself some chops or something. Yeah, I can say that's all I can do with it. <laughs> uh, what would you say, like, so when you went to seminary, you started having doubts, you know, do you remember like the first thing that kind of made a crack, you know, like, the Oh first yeah. Thing? The very first thing that made a crack was actually not in seminary, but it was in my undergrad and it was, um, the document hypothesis. Are you familiar with this? Uh, Q? Uh, no, well, this is, this is pre, this is old Testament. Um, oh, okay. Okay. So, uh, there's a lot of different versions of it, but it's like the JDEP, um, so if you take the old Testament and there's people who've said like that the old Testament is actually comprised of like four or five separate documents and they kind of splice them together, but there's all these different things and you can actually take the old Testament and pull them apart and you still have whole documents that are coherent with one another. So that's why, for example, in Genesis and the creation story, you have two accountings of creation. Uh, because one of them is from the J source and one is from the D 
D source, I believe. And basically they just, when they went to put the old Testament together, who codified it, they were like, Oh, let's just boom. These work together. And that's why you have all these things. So actually doing textual criticism of the old Testament was the first, like started cracking up the shell, if you would. Then on top of that, then it was the synoptic problem. So, you know, you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who obviously there's a lot of overlap and a lot of like Luke copied like 90 some percent of Mark. And so the problem with synoptics, we can go over that later time, but these textual criticisms are really what got me into questioning. Um, and then at seminary, the, they go into the synoptic problems and, you know, the document hypothesis and all this stuff, but the explanations that were given weren't satisfying to me. So like, I was like, okay, we're in it. Now we're going to pound it. And I'm going to really have an answer for why this is like this. And then the answers were like, no, that's, that's not good enough, man. It's like, it just didn't make sense. So. So it's almost like a cumulative case for atheism. Yes. That's exactly like a cumulative case for atheism. <laughs> I mean, you were very, very uh, pivotal in my, uh, my deconversion. Um, I wouldn't credit you with um, deconverting me, but you were definitely a voice of reason and somebody that I could talk to and confide in when I was having doubts um, and questions. And you were always very um, open and honest and you weren't trying to like bash it over my head and get me to deconvert. Like you were very, gave me reasonable answers and then left me to decide for myself, you know, um, I think one of the one of the straws that booked the camel's back was we were at uh, our annual training and we had racks, our bunks right next to each other. And I was reading a book by Desmond Tutu called, I think it was called God is Great or something like that. Uh, I have to look up the title, but it's very similar to God is Great. And you were reading a book by Christopher, Christopher Hitchens titled God is Not Great. <laughs> Uh, religion poisons everything. Yeah, so I was like, this is so weird, man. It's like he's reading a book that says almost the exact opposite of the book I'm reading. And um, I'm pretty sure I got the Desmond Tutu um, title wrong, but I'll come up with that later. Anyways, so I asked if I could read the book, and you said, yeah, but you know, you need to be careful because he doesn't hold any punches. I said, well, I'll try getting into it. So I started reading, and I got about a chapter in before I gave you the book back. But uh, after drill, I went and purchased the book and read it for myself, the rest of it, because I was really intrigued by what he had to say. And uh, Hitchens was definitely one of the first people that I was exposed to um, from the atheist standpoint, like a, a major figure, anyways. If you had to pick one, that's probably a good one to pick. Yeah, although, although looking back on it, like um, from where I am now, Hitchens is just a really good orator. A lot of his arguments um, aren't all that solid, uh, as, as opposed to other arguments and stuff. Like he doesn't, um, he doesn't really do syllogisms and things like that. So he's just sort of pokes holes and and other, right. things, which he's good at. But there's a lot of other. Um, Atheist figures out there, I think, do a better job of developing arguments for atheism or against religion. I'd agree, but I don't think anybody expresses them as well as no. Well, that's because he was drunk all the time and he had no filter. <laughs> <laughs> and so when you um, realized, okay, I'm an atheist, what I imagine there was some kind of fallout to that like what what did that process the deconversion look like yeah um well i kept it to myself for a good while but when i actually came out as as atheist um 
I got a lot of pushback from a lot of people. Some, you know, friends and family, especially at church, some thought it was a phase, you know, like, oh, you'll you'll come back to the fold kind of thing. I got a lot of pushback from my family of why couldn't I just keep my mouth shut? You know, like, why do I have to start saying spewing all this hatred and vitriol on Facebook? And because or my perspective was I had been lied to my whole life. That's what I felt like anyways. I don't think anybody was purposely lying to me, but I had felt like I had uncovered this great truth. And so I was like, well, I want to share this with everybody. You know, it's like, don't you know, this is not real. Like, Hey, everybody wants to know, like, no, not everybody wants to know. They want to want to turtle shell pop in there and um, not hear anything. Um, so that was a huge thing. And I actually lost my, my community at church because I tried going to church just for the community aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And the, I remember the last time I went, I actually, actually had to leave the service because I just I couldn't sit in there and listen to it anymore because through my atheist ears, it was just so unsettling. Like the, I don't know if you've ever been to like a real liturgical service, like call and response. And mm-hmm. it just seemed like a cult. Like I felt like I was witnessing some, somebody's about to pull out the Kool-Aid next. And well, they did, it's called the Eucharist actually. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I I had to walk out of the service and I sat outside till it was gone. And I basically told Sarah that I probably wouldn't be going back anymore. Um, And here you are. And here I am. That's my story in a nutshell. Um, Now, now that you've made the decision, I mean, obviously you believe it because that's what you think is true. But are you glad that it came to this? Would you, if you could wave a magic wand and remove it, would you go back? That's a good question. Um, as much as I want to say, yes, I wish I could go back knowing what I know now. Um, I'd rather be where I am knowing the, the truth, um, what I consider to be the truth, uh, than living in, in a a lie or living in confusion and doubt. Like I feel much more liberated and much more free to think and much more free to question things. And that trumps any amount of comfort I had being in a church community. Well, what about you, man? Um, Where'd you start? Uh, Well, there's a little bit of overlap between my story and yours. So I was raised Christian um, from for as long as I can remember, my grandmother was very, very religious, and my mother, maybe less so, but still raised me in the church, went to church every week, and, you know, small group on Sundays, that sort of thing. Um, after elementary school, I was homeschooled. My mom pulled myself and my sister out of the public school system, not for religious reasons. Uh, she felt that the school was failing us. I won't go into why, but, you know, it, I think it was probably a good decision. But a... Um, a consequence of that was she got to pick the curriculum. And so my science curriculum was a hundred percent young earth creationist. So I was always a very inquisitive kid. And as long as I can remember, I've kind of had kind of skeptical values. I value truth. I wanted to know what the truth was. I wanted to have, I believe that evidence and reason were the best ways to arrive at truth, but all of the evidence I was given was from one perspective. I was deep in an echo chamber and didn't realize it. So growing up, I was steeped in this kind of, um, in this worldview. So I was very confident 
that I was correct. You know, I'd never re- I had never met anyone who is able to withstand my questions, basically. And so every time I talked to somebody, it just made me more convinced that I was I was right. Um, and <clears throat> that continued on into adulthood. I was listed in the army. Um, I was deployed. After my first deployment, I uh, went through some hard times. My marriage had ended up in a divorce. And that itself did not cause me to lose my faith, even though I was very conservative evangelical Christian. And so I believed based on my interpretation of scripture that what I was doing was wrong and was sinful because God would want me to reconcile with my wife. Mm -hmm. And so I was willingly and knowingly sinning. However, I, I hated the situation I was in so much that I would rather go to hell than return to my ex-wife, literally, because that's exactly what I thought was going to happen. So, uh, but even so I always felt because my, um, my beliefs were based on logic and reasons or my perception of the evidence. I didn't hold this view because it was convenient or because I benefited from it. I held it because I thought it was true and it was the best explanation. The universe appeared to be designed and therefore it needed a designer. And probably the leap of faith part was making that designer the Christian God. But the fact that there had to be a designer seemed self-evident to me. And so that didn't change just because I couldn't stand my ex-wife. Right. Since then, several people that I know have said, well, your faith wasn't based on a relationship with Jesus and it wasn't, that's why you lost your faith. You know, if you had started at the cross um, from my perspective, had I done that, I probably would have lost my faith after the divorce because then it would have been emotional, right? Hmm. Because it wasn't emotional when I didn't feel like being Christian, it didn't matter because that's not what my, my faith was based on. Not, not to say that I didn't have that. I still felt, like I was in a relationship with Jesus and I never like heard the God speak to me in words, but I, you know, I kind of, like you said, with the calling, I felt um, pulled to different situations and stuff like right. that. And do you, did you ever have a, um, like a, do you remember being saved? Like as, as you term, like a salvation moment? Yeah. So I was raised in the church from a young age and I probably was baptized at some point in there, but the salvation moment that I remember came after I was married and we were going to a church on the South side, which I want to say is cool Springs Baptist. And they were like a very um, not charismatic, but a very like energetic conservative church. And I realized that, um, I hadn't officially dedicated my life to Jesus. Like, even though I was a Christian and believed in right. that whole thing, I had never like said the words publicly. Mm-hmm. So I went through the whole baptism ceremony and was very spiritual. I felt connected to everyone. So even though I was, I had already considered myself Christian. So I guess that wasn't necessarily when I was saved. That's probably the moment that I felt most deeply spiritually connected right. to my faith. When you publicly professed it. And- right. I think it's fair to say that the divorce um, left me open to questioning because a lot of things were changing in my life. So it kind of put me in a more receptive state probably. So, I was talking to a coworker who was also Christian and we were talking about creationism and he gave me a book. I don't remember the coworker's name, 
which I probably should since he's like responsible for a huge life change in my, you know, <laughs> but I don't remember his name, but I do remember the book, which was the language of God by Dr. Francis Collins, who is a prominent Christian geneticist. He worked on the genome project and he wrote this book ironically to tell Christians the evidence for evolution and, and kind of meld the faith with, with science and show like why, why the two weren't contradictory. <laughs> So I read the book and it had a lot of things I'd never heard before. A lot of evidence that I didn't really have good answers for. And it answered a lot of my own objections with good reasons. That alone wasn't enough, but I decided that, you know, the truth was important and evidence was important. So this book armed me with new questions that I could go ask. And it was after that, it was kind of like a self-reinforcing cycle. I would read this resource that would give me new, that kind of shoved me out of my echo chamber. So I had better questions to ask. And then I would go ask those questions and find new answers, which then would lead to more questions. And that process continued for probably about a year. And I kind of went through this fighting retreat um, where, as the evidence mounted. So at first I was like, well, the earth is definitely not 6,000 years old, turns out. So I guess I'm an old earth creationist. And then, uh, but God is definitely necessary for evolution. And then I was like, well, actually evolution works pretty well on its own. Uh, but I guess I'm like a theistic evolutionist, right? Like like maybe he had to start in the beginning. And then, then I realized, no, the universe seems to work pretty well from the beginning to now. So I came kind of... Uh, a deist. And then I kind of settled on the term deist seemed kind of unsatisfying. So I guess, well, I guess I'm an agnostic and that's where it settled for like a month or so. And I was driving home from work one day, just kind of pondering. And it struck me that, you know what, I, I don't believe in God and I don't think I have for a while now. So I guess I'm an atheist and that's where I am. Perfect. Yeah. Now you had mentioned this to me before, but I think it's worth sharing here. Um, the, you briefly touched on it, like the moment you realized you were an atheist. But something's very unique about that experience. I think is worth sharing because it kind of shows the the frailty of the human mind and memory and stuff. But. Yeah. So I do have this distinct memory of the moment I remembered, I believe I was an atheist and I can describe everything to you. I can see the road I was on when I was driving home from work. Um, I didn't have anything on the radio. I can see where my hands were on the wheel. And I know for a fact that memory is false, even though it's extremely vivid and I can, I can picture everything right now. I know it's not real. Uh, it was years after I deconverted um, I'd been telling the story to people, you know, I was on my way home from work and blah, blah, blah. And I stopped and I thought, well, wh when exactly did that happen? And I kind of worked my way back through my Facebook profile and everything like the moment. And I realized I deconverted that the image I have is me driving home to work from work to the place I am now, like the place, the house I'm sitting right. in. But I didn't live here when I was an atheist, <laughs> when I deconverted. That was the previous house uh, that I deconverted. Actually, the house before that. So like my memory is from years after the, the, the event that it took place. So what I think happened is I told this story. I was on my way home from work and I think that is probably accurate. I was on my home of work and it hit me, but I didn't have an image associated with it. And somewhere along the way, my brain was like, Oh, on the way home from work, I know where that is and, <laughs> and push this image. And even now knowing that the two, I, it, there's, they're not, 
I can't separate them in my right. mind. I, I always love that story because it, it really kind of emphasizes how fragile our mind is and how susceptible it is to uh, false information, misinformation, and just goes to show you why it's important to be skeptical, even of our own thoughts and our own beliefs and memories. And so, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's a really cool anecdote because, you know, everyone likes to put eyewitness testimony on this pedestal, Mm -hmm. but I can't accurately remember one of the most important experiences of my life, literally like two or three years after the fact, (laughs) (laughs) which is crazy. Awesome. Now it's interesting that your deconversion happened, I mean, pretty rapidly uh, compared to a lot of people. I mean, you're talking about like within a year, right? Yeah, yeah, probably from start That's, to finish. What do you think enabled you to be able to grapple with these contradicting, you know, pieces of evidence and actually be able to take them in? Because I know, I know a lot of young Earth creationists who uh, was presented with the same information just flat out deny it or come up with some cockamamie excuse as to why it's not relevant or credible? Um, that's a good question. It's hard to say cause I'm not those people and I've run into those same sort mm. of responses for me. I think it's cause I didn't embrace creationism because of my faith. I embraced my faith because of my creationism. It was always about evidence for me mm-hmm. and the evidence seemed to strongly indicate that, God, the creator Yahweh was real. And so that's why I believed it. Um, So I guess it was kind of my mindset going in just the, the way I'd always processed information evidence. I believe in God because of evidence. Oh wait, there's all this other evidence. Okay. I'll change my mind then. It probably helped that um, I didn't have a lot going for me as a Christian at that point. I didn't, a lot of atheists have, their traumatic, you know, coming out experiences, like you said, where a lot of the people that they're with kind of give them pushback, but pretty much everyone I knew had already abandoned me when I was divorced, unless they were blood related to me or went to war with me. Right. All of my Christian friends and ginormous air quotes, uh, kicked me to the curb as soon as I, um, had a divorce. So there wasn't, I didn't have a community around me anymore pushing me to stay. Hmm. You said your belief was more uh, evidence-based. Now, do you think that you initially believed because of evidence or was it like a funny feeling or something that led you to that or how did that work out? Well, I think if you went far enough back, I believe because that's what my mom and grandmother believed. Right. <laughs> you know, they, yeah. my, my grandmother would pray over meals and, you know, we'd, I'd, so I'd pray along with her. So like, if you want to take it all the way back to its roots, I was Christian because my family was Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, once I got to the point where I was kind of asking questions and trying to figure things out for myself, that's probably where the evidence piece kicked in. But that's exactly the moment when I became homeschooled. So all of the evidence I was presented with was, you know, oh, there has to be a God. And wouldn't you know it? It just happens to be the one I was raised to believe in. What a remarkable coincidence. So do you feel, I mean, same kind of question you asked me, but you would never go back and like, uh, like not look behind the curtain. Like if, if the guy gave you the book, Francis Collins again, and you could go back to him and be like, nah, man, I'm good. I don't need that book. Would you turn the book away? 
Absolutely not. No, no hesitation. I knowing the truth is very important to me. I, I want to know as many true things as possible and as few false things as possible. And if I'm wrong, I want to know it. Right. So <clears throat> I have no problem. Like, obviously it was a very, it was kind of a painful experience because I had to admit that something as very dear to me was wrong and I'd wasted all this time, but I don't regret it at all. I feel much better now. No cognitive dissonance. I don't have to believe things just because some book or some other person thought I, I can make these decisions for myself based on my best um, understanding of the evidence. And if I'm given new evidence, I can just change my mind. Well, a couple of questions here I think might be important. Do you think there's anything, let's say there's somebody out there now listening and uh, they're going through something maybe similar or something different, but they're experiencing doubt. They're questioning their beliefs. What do you think is, is like the most important thing that you could tell them? I mean, other than just give it up, but, uh, but if we're honestly going to engage with somebody and I, I'd say if, if I were talking to like myself in that same situation, I would say that, the best thing you can do is find the smartest, most educated person who disagrees with you and see what they have to say. Mm. Um, really consciously force yourself out of that echo chamber, because if you want to know all the flaws in your argument, ask the guy who disagrees with you. Right. So I think that's great. And so for me, since I didn't believe because of, of evidence, um, the Socratic method was really what kind of did it for me. Like I didn't need to find somebody to disprove young earth creationist for me. I needed somebody to be able to ask, just keep asking, but why, but why, but why to get back to the root of things. And I think it's okay to ask questions. Like if you are confused and you want to know how come, you know, John's account of the uh, passion is different than Mark's account of the passion then it's okay to ask that question and, you know, go to your pastor and ask him, well, why are these different? And see if, if what they tell you holds water. Um, and if it doesn't, which it won't, uh, <laughs> <laughs> try to figure out on your own. Um, but don't be afraid to ask questions is what I could would say. Yeah. You, if, if you, again, if you're in the, the position where you're doubting, <laughs> And that's something you're wrestling with. It's probably because you think that the truth is important. Yeah. Like if you didn't care about the truth, then there'd be no reason to doubt anything. Like, you know, who cares? Just believe whatever you have, were raised to believe. But if you care about the truth, then you, like you said, don't be afraid to ask questions because you're going to win no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. All it's going to do is give you the truth. That may not be the truth that you can win in with, but you know, yeah. It's it's interesting to me that some people are okay with not knowing the truth. Like I've never been able to do that and it took me a long time to realize that, but I know people who are okay they go to church on Sunday, they work the rest of the week, they go to church on Sunday, they work and they, they just do that cycle over and over but they could give two shits whether or not it's actually true. It just makes them feel good and they're comfortable with it. And I mean, if that's the kind of life you want to live, there's more power to you, but I just, it blows my mind that that's, you know, it seems to me that even if you're in that situation, you're, you're going to make better decisions. If you start with correct assumptions, right? Mm-hmm. A better decision about everything about where you spend your time, where you spend your money, what your values are. And if you're that kind of person that goes to church every week, there's probably something you'd rather be doing if you didn't, if you, if it was all nonsense, if you knew for a fact, this is all 
BS. Do you want to know what I do on Sunday morning? What's that? I sleep in. Yeah, that's what I do. (laughs) And so if you're listening to this and you're going to church because it's fun, imagine how much more fun it would be to just sleep. (laughs) Sleep is a beautiful thing. Yeah. I I do miss church sometimes, though, man. I miss the. Like I was playing, I played in the praise band, so I miss playing music with people and stuff. But I think that's on me to find those communities and outlets to be able to do that on my own time and not necessarily on Sunday morning. Like, yeah, I think it's it's probably fair to say that's one of the things that the. I mean, there's no like broad-reaching atheist movement as much as evangelical Christians like to say mm-hmm. that it. Yeah, you know, it. We're a very diverse bunch, and so, but. It, as a community of people who happen to share this one facet of non-belief, we, that's probably the thing we fail on the most because a lot of people are giving up something that was very dear to them and they have nothing to replace it with. Right. For me, I didn't like church even when I was a Christian. That was like my least favorite part of yeah. being a Christian. I really, really enjoyed Bible study. And like, so like the Wednesday night meetings and like the, mm. the Sunday school, that part was good. But the sermon was like, well, I have to do this because God says so. Yeah. <laughs> now give you 10%. And- yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, can I just give 15 and not go to church? Yeah. That's, that's another uh, added benefit of uh, not being a Christian anymore is you get to save 10% of your income. for, Or give it straight to a charity. Yeah. Or that. Cut out the middleman. Yep. Give it or give it to a charity. This, uh, I'm not going to say this to be mean, but give it to a charity who actually does something charitable. Because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of churches that tithe goes to paying the pastor and put keeping the lights on, all that stuff. So a lot of that money doesn't make it back into right. the community. I mean, imagine if getting back to like valuing truth. Let's say that we could definitively show that this was based on falsehoods and it's just not true. Mm-hmm. Imagine how much more good we could do. You can still have the same community. You can still get together once a week, but instead of spending that time and money to build this church building and build an altar and have all these things, feed the poor. Right. You know, build a house for someone. All the things that Christians and to be fair, churches are responsible for a lot of good that happens in the world. You know, there, there's a lot of charities that are religious in nature, but imagine how much more they would have to give if they weren't wasting so much time. Right. On that. Now, and that's why I think the truth is important because it allows you to make better decisions. If, if helping people is really what you value, you, you could, if you focused on solely that. Yeah. Now that, that I do know churches who give quite a bit to the community. So I'm not trying to slight anybody or say that that doesn't happen. But as, like you said, imagine how much more could be done. And I think that's the key aspect there, but Yeah. Like there was, there was a um, pastor that I met recently, one of Titus's, uh, Titus's pastor actually. And he's not a full-time pastor. I don't know if he even takes a salary to be honest, but he like lives in either in or near the projects. And he does a lot of ministry there trying to help people out. Like that's laudable and it's awesome. And you don't need to be a Christian to do that. Right. Anybody can do that. Yeah. (laughs) Anybody. Right. So if someone is going through that experience of, of maybe not deconversion, but just doubting. They're not alone. They're not the first person to have gone through that. And there are people out there, me, you, and others who have gone through exactly the same thing. So I would strongly recommend them not to keep it to themselves to go find if Then if they don't feel like they can talk to somebody um, in their church or their pastor, because they're fair, afraid of the repercussions, they don't, you know, they're ashamed or whatever, go talk to us. You can talk to somebody on Reddit, um, you know, there's a lot of good communities that will be very receptive and help you yeah. with that. 
Yeah, I think that's a good point too. Is there's there's always people out there willing to to talk to you and um, don't think that just because somebody's an atheist, they're going to be pushy and try to push their lack of belief on you. And if if I've learned anything from being an atheist and being around atheists, it's it's almost the opposite. Um, athe- I mean, not to say that there aren't ones like that. No, there definitely are. Um, but- there's always bad apples, but. By and large, I I don't think because what what do I care? You know, <laughs> yeah. And unless you're doing something that's actually hurting somebody with your beliefs, then then we care. Right. But at the same point, I think it's much more um, beneficial to work with somebody and talk them through the process of letting them discover it on their own, as opposed to just saying, "Well, this 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 or this." Now you don't believe, right? And also, I, I could be wrong. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm open to that idea. So I don't go into a conversation, well, with the mindset of, let me show this guy exactly every way he's wrong and why his beliefs are like, I go into it like, you know, let me hear this guy out. Maybe he has something I never heard of. And, right. it, you know, so I'm always open to that next, next piece of evidence. I would, all it would take is evidence for me to believe that God exists again. Don't know if I would be a Christian because um, that's different. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm like a one piece of evidence away from believing anything. It would take a couple pieces of evidence for me to be a Christian again. Yeah, yeah. One piece for God, two pieces for Jesus. It would take, yeah. <laughs> well, there's a difference between believing that God exists and believing that He's worthy of worship. All right. So now that you know a little bit about us and who we are, where we came from, next week we're going to dive into the anti-vaxxer movement. I have a video by a Dr. Bergman called Truth Versus Lies About Flu Vaccines. But in that video, he doesn't just talk about the flu vaccine. He talks about how vaccines are actually bad for you, cause autism, but also cause the very diseases they are supposed to protect against. Um, So we'll be examining those claims and kind of diving into how to fact check. Um, And you know what? Maybe we'll be convinced. Who knows? (laughs) I'm always open to being convinced, so. Yeah, spoiler, probably not. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, have a good one, man. Yeah, you too.